Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hello, and welcome to the Indie Cider podcast, where I play indie games and then interview the developer. My name is Ken Gagne, and this week on episode number 44 for June 1st, 2016, I'm playing Life Goes On Done to Death, a puzzle platformer available for Steam and PlayStation 4. This game originally came out as just Life Goes On back in 2014, and then was released as Life Goes On Done to Death in May of 2016. This update is a free download for owners of the previous edition on Steam and is a new release for PlayStation 4, making its console debut. This game from Infinite Monkeys Entertainment, a three-person studio, a 2D puzzle platformer where you are a knight trying to find the Holy Grail. Each level you encounter has a grail at the end, but it may not be the grail, and you won't know until you get to the end, so you just have to go through all the levels. Each level is filled with pitfalls and traps that you cannot avoid and will kill you. It is impossible to play this game without dying, and therein lies the gimmick for this game. Every time you die, your body remains behind, and you are issued a new knight with which to attempt the course again. This new knight can use the corpses of its predecessors to succeed where previous knights have failed. So, for example, if there is a bed of spikes that you cannot traverse, well, just throw a knight onto the spikes, leave his body impaled, and then step on the body to make your way to the other side. There are levers, switches, buttons, relays, and more that you need to use knights to trigger. The only controls are the D-pad and the jump button. There is no attacking, no spells, no enemies, except for this one little creature named Jeff who remains stationary in each level in a designated spot, and if you get near him, he will eat no more than one of your knights. Feeding Jeff on every level will earn you an achievement, but it is entirely optional. Your goal is seemingly simple, just get to the end and collect the chalice. All these levels are divided into worlds, such as a mine-slash-volcano level, and at the end of the game there is an end boss who you will face. The game naturally has a quirky sense of humor, but what really caught me was how extremely polished it is. The animations, the graphics, the soundtrack, they're all pretty darn good for a three-person studio. And so this week I'm speaking with one of the three developers, Mr. Eric Johnson. We'll be chatting about why he released this version of the game as a free download, what it was like working with Sony to get to the PS4, and other games such as that classic Lemmings that this game has been likened to. You can find the interview paired with gameplay footage as well as links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at indiesider.net slash 44 for episode number 44. You'll also find links to two other interviews Mr. Eric Johnson has done, including with a YouTuber named Alluvial Sin, who, similarly to me, paired his gameplay footage with the interview, except he actually conducted the interview while simultaneously playing the game. So it's sort of like the developer himself was watching a Let's Play since it was being live-streamed. Interesting take. It's a good time to be an indie gamer. In fact, sometimes it's challenging to know which of so many games to feature on this channel. So if you'd like to suggest any, feel free to hit me up at IndieCider.net via email or voicemail, or tweet at me at GameBits. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Here's the interview. Today I'm chatting with one of the developers of Life Goes On, Done to Death, that being Mr. Eric Johnson of Infinite Monkeys Entertainment. Hello, Eric. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, thank you. Congratulations on the Done to Death expansion for Life Goes On. The original game came out in 2014. The expansion came out in 2016, and it all stems from a game jam idea you had back in, what, 2012? Yeah, that's right, January 2012. This game has been a long time in the making. 
it it has been a yeah it's really funny how that one game jam turned into this like four year endeavor over four years now yeah what would you be doing now if you hadn't come up with that idea four years ago oh i have no idea it's really hard to say um Probably not, you know, releasing a game on the PlayStation 4 and, and doing interviews on podcasts. <laughs> I assume that game development was in your future, though. Well, it's interesting, actually. Game development for me was always much more of a hobby. Um, as a kid playing games, I always thought, oh, this is cool. Maybe, maybe I could do this. As I got a little older and, and learned more about the industry, I thought, well, you know, game development's a lot of fun, but maybe, you know, this isn't an industry that I want to be in. Um, I liked other sort of programming and problem-solving type things, too. Um, and so I always kind of made games in my free time and did events like Game Jams and that sort of thing. But then with this Game Jam, it just turned into this bigger thing. And all of a sudden, here I find myself four years later... Uh, ostensibly being a professional game developer. That is excellent. You just never know what's going to happen next. Very true, yeah. So people who are playing this game on the PlayStation 4 are playing it for the first time. On Steam, it's been released as an update to a game that, as we mentioned, came out two years ago. Can you summarize what's new in the Done to Death edition of this game? Quite a lot's new, actually. We took the initial release had sort of three worlds that made up somewhere, I can't remember exactly what it was, roughly 50 levels. So Done to Death adds a fourth world, the ruins, sort of the sky, floating sky island sort of setting. The extra levels there, plus we added extra sort of bonus challenge levels to each of the first three worlds. Um, And together they add, I think we're a little bit over 65 levels now. Um, But because all of this new content is a lot more complex and a lot more... Um, bigger, harder levels, that sort of thing. We think that we've roughly doubled the playtime of the game, actually, for someone new to it. So that's the most, the largest and most obvious change. Another thing is, is in our initial release, we had this fairly rough level select where it was just kind of this grid of icons. Um, we replaced that with this, um, with a a new map with a lot of like very nice hand drawn art on it. Um, that um, map also has a little bit of story and a little bit of background about the game written out on the map. Um, so, you know, creates a little bit more setting and a little bit more of a, a feel of kind of place and that sort of thing for the player as you're exploring these levels. That was a big change. One of my favorite things that has really been, you know, every time I see it, it really is making me smile that we added to the game are these ideas of um, unlocks. So for various activities, now you can get rewarded um, by unlocking a new hat or weapon. And so the knights will spawn, instead of using their regular sword, they might show up with a battle axe, or they might show up wearing like a winged helmet or a viking helmet or something like that. Um, Which gets a little silly, for one, because, you know, they're, they're... wearing helmets on top of their helmets now, I guess. Um, and also because as you progress through the game, the unlocks get more ridiculous and, and kind of less practical as you go. <laughs> and those are cosmetic changes? Those are cosmetic, yeah. And it, it sort of uh, ties back to kind of one of the design decisions for Life Goes On, where in the game you're constantly dying... Um, and spawning new knights, you're summoning new knights. And one of the 
um, things that we're really trying to do with that is to say that each of these new knights that you're sending out, this is like a new person. We write out a new name for them at the bottom of the screen. They have individualized, I mean, they're not 100% individualized, but they have kind of unique death screams when they die. They, um, and so we wanted to do more to differentiate between these knights to say, okay, this knight is a different knight from the last one. You're not just, you know, um, reusing the same character. Like when you're playing Mario Brothers, every time you die, it's, you know, it's just Mario again, right? Whereas in Life Goes On, no, the the last person that died, they're they're gone now and, and this is a new person. And so by and actually very early on in the well not yeah, very early on in the project, we thought, oh, it'd be really cool to do customized knights, um, so that each knight looks a little different. And then we realized that that was, you know, way too big of a job and way too ambitious for the size of our team and that sort of thing. And so we decided in the expansion that, well, completely customizing all of these knights is too much. Maybe we can, you know, give them, we can swap out their hats and their weapons and that sort of thing to individualize them a bit. All these changes, it sounds like customizing the knights was something you, you and your team wanted to do for a while. Was that and the other changes, were those at all inspired by feedback or player requests to the initial release of this game? Yeah, we definitely spent you know quite a lot of time looking at that. I mean, I guess there's there's two two aspects there. One is is the things that where we felt like we we had more that we wanted to do that we didn't get to or things that we thought of too late to get into the initial release or things like that. So we certainly had our own kind of personal like itches to scratch there. But on top of that, we also spent quite a lot of time analyzing um, player feedback and analyzing critical feedback and, and looking at that to try to figure out, okay, where did we where did we fall short of expectations? Where could we do better? What are people excited about? What would people be excited to see? Like, for example, earlier I mentioned that our old level select was kind of just this grid of icons. Um, and it's almost, it, it kind of had a very sort of mobile game look to it on that level select. And so we received... There was some confusion um, when we did the release that maybe Life Goes On was a mobile port, that was a, maybe it was initially like a mobile release or something like that, whereas the reality was that, no, it was a PC game first, and that was our first release. But because we just had this basic grid of icons, grid of squares, level select, it looked kind of like a mobile game. And so, yeah, so, I mean, making the map to, <laughs> to, 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 to get away from that was something we really wanted to do. Uh, and, and we also heard a lot of people say that, oh, it was great, but it was too short. I wanted more. Um, you know, we had people say that the, the, the difficulty progression curve was, was, was really good and it, it, it trained you really well, but it didn't go far enough. I would have liked bigger levels. I would have liked more challenging levels. Uh, lots of things like that. Um, people wanted a final boss fight at the end, so that's in there now. Uh, yeah, definitely lots of inspiration from both player feedback and from critical feedback. Given that there are so many changes and that you doubled the amount of playtime, why choose to release the Steam version as a free update as opposed to DLC? So, <laughs> naivety maybe? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. We, we knew that we were coming to the PlayStation. We knew, we knew that we wanted to do more with the game. And I guess we decided that 
we wanted to we didn't want to just be a port when we were coming to the PlayStation. We wanted to be kind of new news. We wanted to be a new release. And so we wanted to be releasing something, you know, bigger and better that wasn't just, you know, the the steam port of life goes on. And that was that was the first part of the decision. And then when it came to our existing customers, you know, I guess we just wanted to give them more. We wanted to to say, okay, you you supported us in our initial release. We want to we want to give you something extra for that. Um, and also, um, the um, you know, we were happy with our launch, but we didn't make a, a huge splash. We're not you know a super famous game. We didn't have you know crazy high numbers of sales. So we felt like, okay, well, you know, there there's this small number of people that already own the game. We could, you know, try to get another five bucks out of them on a DLC or something like that, but we'd rather just try to make a bigger, better, more awesome game and, you know, go after new customers and try to find new people that have never heard of our game and get them excited about Life Goes On and try to make our money that way. And this way, people who did previously buy the game become marketers for you by through through word of mouth. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that, um, I hope that people are happy and and so far from what we've seen that people are quite happy and quite excited about the uh the update for sure you said you knew you were coming to the playstation 4 what was that process like of choosing that platform and then working with whoever you needed to to make it happen right um it was actually quite interesting we brought the game to pax we went to the indie mega booth at pax prime in seattle in um september of 2013 and that was our first experience really showing the game to a really to a broader audience um other than a few kind of online demos that we had posted so while we were at PAX this was kind of our first exposure to industry people and we met you know we met some media we met a lot of other indie developers we met a lot of um publishers and big kind of um you know the 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 console manufacturers and and we, you know, um, we had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people because they saw what we were doing and thought it was quite interesting. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny actually in retrospect, because at the time they were, you know, we had a few offers of saying, Oh, you know, do you, do you want to do this? Do you want to do a publish? Do you want a publisher? Do you want to get some funding so you can really build this game out? And again, we were kind of naive about it and we thought, no, we've got, you know, We've got a good thing going on. We're almost done our game. We'll just kind of polish it up a little bit, you know, put out a few more levels, and we've got a big hit on our hands, and it'll be great. Um, And I think we sort of underestimated the scope and scale of what we were trying to do at the time. Um, But something that did come out of those conversations um, were um, connections um, with Sony. Um, and we had talked to to Microsoft, and we had talked to Nintendo, and met some you know some great people. But with Sony, they I don't know exactly what it was. It wasn't like a huge difference between any of them. But Sony just seemed to do the best job of maybe kind of keeping in contact with us and being encouraging and that sort of thing. And I mean, these are all you know very very large companies and. I think it's difficult for, uh, you know, like these giant, giant companies to work with a company of, you know, like three people, four people. Um, and so, and just, I think that 
I don't know if it was coincidence or if I've sort of heard this from other entity developers that that Sony has this process kind of the most figured out that um, and you can certainly not to say that you can't as an indie developer work with Microsoft or Nintendo um, just more that that Sony will make you know is is pretty good at making the process pretty smooth and pretty um, pretty accessible because of that that's how that's how we ended up working with them um, and then as as we progressed and as we looked at the resources that we had available to us and that sort of thing we thought that the PlayStation 4 seemed like a good bet and a good fit for life goes on do you think you'll eventually pursue other platforms as well? It would be cool. We don't have really plans at the moment. Um, if you know, if if life goes on, does sell particularly well, or if there, if we see that there's lots of demand and we think the opportunity's there, we're certainly not opposed to the idea. Though you could always roll back the world map and release a mobile version. And maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We it's it's interesting. In in again, in in retrospect, if we could have done things a little differently, um, we would have where. We never, we always, we were, we never built for sort of that that lower performance target. We were always sort of in our minds a PC game first, and then um, when it came to to building the PlayStation Four version, um, it had the performance to match kind of what we had built for, which was really great. So our graphics assets are weren't ever built to be you know like the 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 low triangle low draw call sort of requirements that you need for mobile and we also have this thing where you're dying in this game all the time and when you die you leave behind these ragdolls and we're not forcing the player to clear them out and so it's very easy to pile up kind of high numbers of ragdolls in a level and when you have a powerful CPU and you're doing calculations on all these physics objects that's no problem uh, but as soon as you move to mobile where you're much more power constrained much smaller environment then all of those physics objects and all of those ragdolls um, become very expensive and performance becomes an issue and there's you know um, in i don't know that life goes on would have been a great fit on a phone but i think that the fact that this now makes it quite hard for us to get to mobile platforms or not mobile but the handheld platforms like um, the vita and the 3ds um is really too bad because it would be super cool to have Life Goes On on those platforms. Is it possible to have so many corpses on the screen that there's a stack overflow or something? Um, so <laughs> there's there's a funny story there. Um, we have a... Again, yeah, we had this policy in our game design where we didn't want to restrict the player from doing that. If they wanted to, to, to just, you know, throw corpses all on the screen all day long, we would let them do that. And... Um, we always try to design our levels where they don't ever force you to do a reset that you can't really break the level through your your regular play but we had to make this concession where if the player really 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 wants to make a mountain of corpses to the point that it's stacked so high that they can't get through a passage anymore or they can't get out from where they're stuck or whatever then i guess that's that's the player's choice they're free to do that if you're persistent enough, you will eventually, you know, really, really bog down a machine that you're playing on. But when we were doing QA, when we were doing testing with Sony, they they gave us this bug report back that said that there was they recommended we fix a crash where it was something like if you killed a thousand knights by, you know, burning them using the fire burn effect or something like that, that you could like crash the machine. Um you know, one in 20 times or something like that, 
which we thought was quite the hilarious bug. That's extremely esoteric. And and the fact that they found it was really quite impressive. Indeed. Yeah. And so we yeah, so we we found a way to <laughs> we we wrote a little script to automatically kill knights and we reproduced the bug and sure enough we had this this crasher when we were because we were allocating memory and then not cleaning it up and it was a, such a tiny amount of memory that it didn't really matter and it got cleaned up between level loads, but it wasn't getting cleaned up in level. And so we had we found that and had to fix it. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because Sony marked it as a, we recommend you fix this, not a, you must fix this before you ship. <laughs> you know, just in case, because somebody else will find it as well. It's quite possible, yep. <laughs> so that sounds like it was a fruitful relationship. You also worked with two other companies, Unity Japan and Kakehashi Games, to localize your game for Japan. Who initiated that relationship? Um, actually, yeah, Kakahashi reached out to us um, as they were at the time doing a partnership with Unity Games Japan, uh, Unity Japan, um, and they, yeah, they were doing this initiative to bring. I think, I mean, I, I'm I'm not entirely privy to to all of the details, but they had this initiative where they were bringing. They wanted to bring indie games to Japan. I think they were, you know, trying to further develop the indie game scene in Japan, partly. And and one of their strategies to do that was to bring, you know, like cool indie games made in Unity to Japan to um try to build that market, build that audience and show Japanese developers, hey, look, there's this Unity thing and you can do it to do you can use it to do cool stuff. Yeah, and so they they reached out to us and said, we think that your game is cool. Your game doesn't have a lot of text in it, so it seems like it would be a relatively easy localization project. We think it would be great to bring it to the Japanese market. Have you gotten any... I don't know if you know Japanese, but have you gotten any feedback from Japanese players? You know, there's like... It's it's neat that there is... Um, we get some posts on our Steam uh, community forums and that sort of thing. Um, because, because the... Um, the PlayStation 4 release isn't out in Japan yet, though it is coming. Um, but the so the primary place for Japanese players to play right now is Steam, and so we see some posts on our community on our Steam community hub, um, and it's great to see. You know, there's um, Japanese, you know, the Japanese character set on the on the screenshots um, with people discussing it in Japanese, um, and. Of course, we've used you know like the the automated like Google Translate sort of things to kind of try to check it out and see what's going on and that sort of thing. And unfortunately, Google Translate really does not do a great job with kind of you know people people using Japanese in kind of community forum post discussions. I don't know if it's like a less formal language or like way of using the language, or if it's just Google Translate's not great with Japanese. Um, so it's really quite garbled, but it, the general tone seems to be positive. And just the fact that they're sharing screenshots and discussing them and that sort of thing seems like a really awesome and positive sign. That's really cool. Definitely. So we've talked a lot about the development. I want to talk a little bit about the gameplay Mm-hmm. For example, you said that in one interview, we're not the only game to ever experiment with forcing you to kill your character to make progress. Can you identify some other games that may have inspired you in this style of gameplay? Right. Well, there's there's sort of two there's two different aspects to that. For in terms of inspiration, um, like I said, we started this game at this game jam event, and at the game jam event, um, we got a theme and 
the theme was this Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its own tail. It was an image of a snake eating its own tail. And we said, okay, how do we make gameplay that's really based on this theme of like kind of life and death and renewal and the sort of things that this, this image symbolizes. Um, and I know for me at the time I was playing limbo. Um, so, you know, I guess spikes and saw blades were probably on my mind. Um, you know, as a team, we talked about games like Super Meat Boy and, and, and you know, the, the puzzle platformer approach of Braid and kind of the self-cooperation of Braid and things like that. Um, and so, you know, those, those were a lot of the influences there. Um, we came up with this idea of you die, you leave a body behind, and now that body is part of the level and can help you solve puzzles and that sort of thing. That's, that's where the idea came from, and that's where the initial gameplay came from, and, and it built out from there. At the time, and at first, and for a long time, actually, we thought, "Oh, we're we're so brilliant, we're so unique. We no one has ever no one has ever thought of anything like this before." Then we put out a a release of a I think well we started releasing demos and then we released a trailer and that sort of thing. And um, boy, the internet is good at you know educating you when you're wrong, right? Oh um, yeah. <laughs> so we discovered that um, there's actually been a few. Um, a few that have done this, I guess. Um, so one of them is, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it correctly, um, Kiryoshi, um, Suicide Salary Man, or something like that. I don't uh, know that one. Yeah, it was a Flash game, um, probably early to mid-2000s Flash game, that, um, a whole series of them, actually, where you're, it's just a, a little 2D um, platformer Flash game where you and every every level is kind of unique and different and you have to um you have to die you have to commit suicide and it's 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 funny and it's kind of gory and grim and it's the levels kind of have these kind of trolly designs to kind of mess with you and stuff like that and i guess that is one that i had played and probably other people on our team had played i'm not sure if it was a, a conscience conscious influence um but certainly when people play life goes on they they often call out um you know, um, um, Karyoshi as a, as a, oh, this must have been influenced by Karyoshi. Another one, um, people often call out is, oh, it's like, it's like Lemmings. And I, I suppose it certainly is like Lemmings in a lot of ways. Um, and it's really funny that that is such a, like, obvious thematic connection that was never a conscious design influence for us. Another one that came out was, um, uh, there was one called Sepucuties. And you were these, uh, you had this this group of little furry bunnies and hamsters and cute little like furball like characters, um, where you you had to get through a series of levels, um, and you had to very similar to Life Goes On, you had to die um, and use the dead bodies that were left behind to make progress through the levels. Um, again, with some, some bodies on spikes and some physics problems and that sort of thing. Um, doing things a little bit differently. I think they had a, that game has a suicide button, um, which is a little different from, from what we do. Yeah. Really surprising because we thought we had like such a unique concept and then to discover that this game had done something so similar was quite surprising. Um, and in fact, like, like, as we posted and as we posted on more forums, it seemed like more and more bodies on spikes were coming out of the woodwork. Um, people saying, Oh, here's the student project I did um, that has similar ideas. Here's this little experimental game that had similar ideas. Um, and 
and yeah, one that was like super shocking was there was another team that did, and I, I can't remember, they were somewhere in Europe, and at the same game jam, at the Global Game Jam 2012 event, using that Ouroboros theme, they also came up with a bodies on spikes game where you have a knight and the knight dies on spikes and that's how you get across the pit of spikes um so this was really quite surprising um in that we we thought we had this crazy unique idea that no one had ever done before and then to discover that actually lots of people had had similar ideas and similar thoughts also really quite interesting to try all of these other different games and see what direction they took it and what they did similarly and what they did differently um and yeah, and so like yeah, we're we're not the first game to do bodies on spikes, and we're not the only game to do bodies on spikes. But we certainly, you know, we we weren't like copying anyone. A lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but occasionally on a forum or something like that, someone will post, "Oh, this is uh, you know copying Sepucuties or something like that." Um, but no, we really you know took our own direction with it, and and you know and found our own direction with it, and I think you know took it probably took it further than anyone else has and, you know, tried to really put our own spin on it and our own take on it. Well, that's just it. Ideas are cheap, but it's the execution that makes an idea valuable. And Life Goes On Done to Death is extremely polished for a team of only three people. Thank you. Yeah, it, um, well, it's, it's been, it's been a long, um, it's been a long process. And yeah, like, and as you say, you know, the, the team of three people, and that's, that's true. But in some ways, it's also kind of deceptive in that, like, okay, there's the three of us that have been the core developers on Done to Death. Um, but, you know, there was, um, there's, you know, a, a, an army of people, like, you know, um, supporting that in terms of, like, just help from friends and family, um, you know, some some contractor work that we did. Um, you know, the, the team was slightly larger with the original Done to Death release. Um, there were sort of four of us that worked on the core Done to Death release. It's a four-year project, and so that's a lot of time and effort that went into it. And and we really did try to to make that a really polished experience, you know, because, um, I don't know, we, it's I guess it's just kind of we're, we're, we're proud of what we were doing, and we wanted it to be as, as awesome as we could make it. One of the ideas in the game that does seem to be unique is the character of Jeff. Mm-hmm. He's this little troll who seems to reside on every level, and he mm-hmm. exists for no purpose other than to eat whatever you throw at him mm-hmm. and then fall asleep. Yeah. What is up with that? Like, why does he exist? <laughs> well, so the, the, the history there is um, we needed, we wanted to add something like, um, some sort of bonus, some sort of like extra collectible, some sort of extra challenge in our levels just to, you know, give a little bit more variety of the gameplay, give the the more hardcore people something extra to do. The, um, like Super Meat Boy has the bonus bandage you can collect and that sort of thing. So we needed our idea and someone at some point had called it, you need some sort of, some sort of widget that, that the player can collect. And we thought about it and we thought, well, in our game, everything kills you, and it's all about these knights dying. So, how do we make a collectible that is that plays with this theme that that builds on this idea that everything's going to kill you? We came up with this idea of this creature who, you know, when you collect him, actually he collects you, and and so he eats you, and and you lose a knight, and they die, and and that's how you collect the creature in every level. And so for ages during the development, we were just calling the creature kind of. Um, the widget and but we knew okay we need some sort of name can we can we ship it 
just calling it, calling him the widget. This is that going to work? And you know, we didn't know what to call him. We didn't know what to call him. We didn't know what to call him. And so finally, just sort of out of desperation, we said, "Okay, his name is Jeff." <laughs> and is it is it the Jeff? Is it you know, are they Jeffs or is it Jeff singular? Um, and we and we didn't really know at the time. We just said, "Okay, it's it's Jeff." And this led to you know all of the hello, my name is Jeff, and meet Jeff, and little little things like that in the game. And so, you know, over time, we've kind of figured out more of like, okay, well, Jeff is Jeff is there to like guard the grails. He's just not very good at it. He's just really lazy in terms of, you know, is he, does, does he teleport between levels? How does he move around? We're, we're not really sure. That's a bit of an enigma, but he is certainly in every level. And players who feed Jeff on every single level will get some sort of an achievement. That's right. There's achievements and there's also hats and weapons unlocked uh, tied to that. Now, speaking of soldiers progressing through puzzle levels while wearing strange hats and weapons, mm-hmm. this game reminds me a little bit of The Lost Vikings. Right, yeah. Uh, did you grow up with that title like I did? Um, I did actually play that one. I didn't play a ton of it, but I played it as a kid, yeah. There's certainly like heritage there, right, in terms of like the, the whole kind of... Yeah, it, it's interesting. Are, you know, games like Lemmings and The Lost Vikings and that sort of thing kind of have a... like. They're almost like proto puzzle platformers, um, you know, that I think like, you know, like Braid and Limbo and that sort of thing really redefined how we think of that. But there's like definitely some some history there that goes back to those sorts of games. Do you think Life Goes On would work as a co-op puzzler like the Lost Vikings did? You know, it's it's interesting because when we first started, let's see. This is kind of this is a, a little tricky, but I'll try to give the 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 logic and the thinking behind this. With the with the levels and this whole design that we have, we have this philosophy where you don't you don't hit the reset button. You don't restart a level. When you're playing a level and those bodies are pli- piling up, that's because those knights are died, have died and and they're dead and they stay dead and they stay in the level. And so well, you can hit the restart button and you can replay a level and that sort of thing. Um, we kind of have this in-world idea that, no, the level, you just kind of continuously play it, which is kind of different from a lot of puzzle games. On a lot of puzzle games, um, you can play a level until you get stuck. And then if you get stuck, you can hit the reset button because you made the wrong choice. You went down the wrong path and now you can't finish the level and you have to restart it. We made this decision to stay away from that approach, which meant that... Um, we didn't want the player to ever be able to break the level. And so, um, you know, giant giant mountains of corpses piling up and blocking your path, notwithstanding. Um, we didn't want to ever have it be in the situation where a player died somehow and that body landed on a button. And that meant that now that body was stuck on that button and the level was now broken because that having that body on that button, you didn't want that. and and so now, now you're now you're stuck. Now you're locked out of the level. And so to do this, this had the consequence of basically it meant that any time you could put a body on a button, it meant that you wanted to make that you wanted to put that body on the button. Um, and so that had some real consequences for our level design and our, our choices around making our design ideas around making puzzles because players. Now, you have to make it 
we take away sort of a player making a choice there. In a puzzle, you want to give this, a player lots of situations to say, okay, to solve this puzzle, do I want a body on this button or do I not want a body on this button? But because we had this sort of permanence with the bodies and because we didn't have, um, we didn't have this reset button, the answer was the answer sort of logically almost had to be, if I can put a body on a button, I want to put a body on a button, which meant that you were just, you know, just especially in, in like in our earlier levels and in our initial designs, um, you were running around the levels figuring out, okay, how do I, where do I die? How do I die? Where's every opportunity to die? Um, and you weren't really making choices about these things. You were just putting down bodies as aggressively and as you could um, to get through the levels. Doing that, in a two-player setting, you know, we had players say, oh, this would be super cool as a two-player setting. And we looked at it, and we were looking at it in, with, from this mindset and from this perspective. And we thought, well, we don't know actually how to make cool and interesting two-player experiences doing this. Because, well, you know, why, why do we need a second player to die when I can just die? And we didn't really have a good way of expressing things like, um, player choice in terms of like, do I want to turn this switch on or do I not want to turn this switch on? Is that going to impede my progress or, or make my progress? And we hadn't really figured out how to use our mechanics to create those like interesting logical challenges that we felt like you would need to do two players well. And so, you know, we, we looked at the idea, we thought it sounded really cool and we sort of dismissed it, unfortunately. Well, unfor- I don't, it certainly it made sense at the time. Whereas during the development of Done to Death, we figured out a lot more ways to make a lot more kind of of these these logical puzzles um, in terms of like, oh, you can only have one checkpoint active at a time. And so that's a way to create, you know, these choices and make the player, you know, design puzzles around forcing the player to make these sorts of choices where what checkpoint do I have act- active? How do I want to deal with that? And I think one, after we developed this this sort of set of ideas and this framework for um, for for creating these logical constraints on players and making players actually make you know these logical choices in the game, I think that now that would actually open up interesting possibilities for doing Lost Viking style, you know, like cooperative multiplayer or you know portal 2 had had a whole multiplayer section that was really quite well done and quite interesting you've obviously given this a lot of thought (laughs) quite a lot yes (laughs) i never you know never thought that we would ever go so in-depth on the you know the logical implications of which checkpoint you have active and what order you you know die on saw blades and that sort of thing but it uh yeah it became really it became a really big part of the new level design Excellent. Well, it's a game that you've spent four years on. Do you ever feel like this game has been done to death? You're ready to move on? Uh, it's it's a very, very mixed feeling. On on one hand, it's like it's exciting to see people playing it and um and 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 you know, it's cool to see excitement about it, it's cool to see when it's well received and um, and to, you know, hear questions like, oh, would you do multiplayer? Would you bring it to new consoles? You know, what about, what about this? What about that? And that's very energizing. That's very exciting. And that makes you want to say, yes, I, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's put more time and effort into this. But on the other hand, I mean, four years is, is a long time for a project. There's definitely a like, okay, what's next? What's, um, 
where else, where else can we take this? What else can we do? You know, or, or sorry, not where can we take this, but you know, what else do I want to be working on? What else do I want to be doing? And I think that's true for, for our whole team. Well, I love the energy that you've put into this game. I can't wait to see what's next. Can you remind our listeners where to find you and your game online? Yeah, so you can check out our website. It is lifegoesongame.com, um, and that's got all of our information about all our different you know platforms and all of that stuff. Um, Twitter and Facebook and all that. Um, you can get the game on Steam um, if you just search for Life Goes On or Life Goes On Done to Death on Steam. And you can find the game on the PlayStation 4, um, on the store, on PSN. Um, so yeah, again, we should be in the list under Indies or Puzzle or a few different things like that. Or you can search Life Goes On Done to Death. Great. And links to all those will be in the show notes found at IndieCider.net slash 44. Eric Johnson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Indie Cider, a Game Bits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net. Indie